The House and Senate are both in recess. The Senate will return Monday, December 2nd, and the House will return Tuesday, December 3rd. Last week on the House floor, the House came back to work on Monday and passed three bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House passed another bill under suspension and also took up and passed H.R. 3055, the continuing resolution we discussed last week. On Wednesday, the House passed another three bills under suspension, including S. 1838, the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, and S. 2710, to prohibit the commercial export of covered munitions items to the Hong Kong police force. On Thursday, the House took up H.R. 1309, the Workplace Violence Prevention for Healthcare and Social Service Workers Act. After considering a number of amendments, the House passed the bill by a vote of 251 to 158, and then they were done. This week on the House floor, no action. They're in recess. Last week on the Senate floor, the Senate came back to work on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Robert J. Luck to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position and then voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Barbara Lagoa to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. On Wednesday, the Senate confirmed her to that position. Later Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm Adrian Zuckerman to be Ambassador of the United States to Romania. On Thursday, the Senate voted by 74 to 20 to concur in the House amendment to the Senate amendment to H.R. 3055, the continuing resolution. That is, the Senate passed the continuing resolution. Later on Thursday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Dan Brulette to be Secretary of Energy, and then they were done. This week on the Senate floor, they're in recess. Uh, to a new subject, the Bidens, Senate Republicans. Senate Republicans, I repeat, are quietly gathering information about what went on in Ukraine in 2015 and 2016. On Thursday, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham sent a letter to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo asking for all relevant documents and communications regarding phone calls between then-Vice President Biden and then-Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko on February 11th, 18th, and 19th, and March 22nd of 2016, regarding then-Ukrainian Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin's investigation of Burisma Holdings, the Ukrainian energy company on whose board Hunter Biden sat. On Friday, Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson, chairman, respectively, of the Senate Finance Committee and the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, sent a letter to the Secretary of the Treasury asking for information on any suspicious activity reports that may have been filed for Hunter Biden. Also on Friday, the two sent a letter to Attorney General Bill Barr seeking information on Alexandra Chalupa, a former consultant for the Democratic National Committee who has come under scrutiny for her role in the 2016 campaign. Now to investigating the investigators. As we get closer to the December 9 release of Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz's long-awaited report on the origins of the FBI's crossfire hurricane Russia-Trump campaign collusion investigation, details are beginning to leak. In what looks like it may have been an inadvertent leak to one journalist, that quickly morphed into a wider leak strategy. Unnamed U.S. government officials have revealed to the New York Times and the Washington Post significant information from inside the report. According to the Times and the Post, Horowitz's report will criticize the FBI for systemic failures in its handling of, F of FISA warrant applications, but also will reject the notion that political bias against Trump tainted decisions made by top officials running the probe. Writes the Post, quote, the much anticipated report due out December 9 from Inspector General Michael Horowitz will allege 
that a low-level FBI lawyer inappropriately altered a document that was used during the process to renew a controversial warrant for electronic surveillance of a former Trump campaign advisor, the officials said. The inspector general referred to that finding to U.S. Attorney John Durham, and the lawyer involved is being investigated criminally for possibly making a false statement, they said. But Horowitz will conclude that the application still had a proper legal and factual basis, and more broadly, that FBI officials did not act improperly in opening the Russia investigation, according to the officials, who, like others, spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss the sensitive report. The report generally rebuts accusations of a political conspiracy among senior law enforcement, law enforcement officials against the Trump campaign to favor Democrat Hillary Clinton while also knocking the Bureau for procedural shortcomings in the FBI, the officials said. On balance, they said it provides a mixed assessment of the FBI and Justice Department's undertaking of a probe that became highly politicized and divided the nation, end quote. To the impeachment front, if press reports are accurate, the House Intelligence Committee under Chairman Adam Schiff has now concluded the open hearings portion of its investigation into whether or not President Trump should be impeached. After nine weeks, the action is about to shift again to the House Judiciary Committee, where presumably articles of impeachment will be drawn up after Congress returns from its Thanksgiving recess. Before we go there, though, let's do a brief review of two weeks of public testimony from 12 witnesses across seven hearings. Four fundamental facts have not changed. At the time of the call between the two presidents, there was no linkage created between the investigation into the Bidens and military aid. Second, both presidents said there was no pressure on Ukraine. Third, at the time of the call, Ukrainian President Zelensky did not know that the aid had been withheld. Fourth, finally, and most importantly, the military aid was released and Ukraine got a meeting with President Trump without the investigation into the Bidens ever being announced. That last point, as the Democrats boxed in, because ultimately you cannot argue there was a quid pro quo if there was no quo. Ukraine never delivered anything, but the aid was released and they got a meeting with President Trump. Of course, none of their 12 witnesses ever testified that they had heard directly from the President of the United States that Ukraine would not receive its military aid or a meeting with President Trump until the Ukrainian government announced it was opening investigations into what happened in 2016. In fact, the only witness to testify that he had asked President Trump directly what he wanted, U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, who testified on Wednesday of last week, said that President Trump responded with, quote, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo, end quote. Is it any wonder independents are swinging hard against impeachment? We got three polls in a row last week in the space of about 48 hours. Two of them were national polls, and one was a poll of Wisconsin. In the two national polls, independents had moved significantly. In the first, they moved 17 points against impeachment, while in the second, they moved 24 points against impeachment. And in the Wisconsin poll, they were opposed to impeachment by a double-digit margin. So now the action will move. First, the House Intelligence Committee will produce a report to send to the Judiciary Committee. The Judiciary Committee will then take that report along with any reports from the other House committees examining the impeachment question and will try to fashion some sort of articles of impeachment. The House Democratic leadership wants to get this done before Christmas. I expect the Judiciary Committee is going to take a week or two to draft and then consider articles of impeachment. We could be looking at a vote on the House floor during the third week of December. 
Three weeks ago, I likely would have predicted that the vote on articles of impeachment was a slam dunk. No more than a handful of Democrats would vote against it, I would have thought. But after the last two weeks watching the failure of witness after witness to land anything more than a glancing blow, I am not so sure. I think there are 31 Democrats sitting in districts that were carried by President Trump in 2016, and about 28 of them are undecided on how they're going to vote. And I think that gives us an opportunity. So stay tuned. On the spending front, both House and Senate passed a continuing resolution last week to keep the government funded until December 20th. President Trump signed the bill on Thursday afternoon ahead of the midnight Thursday deadline, so the government is funded until the week before Christmas. On Saturday, Senate Appropriations Chairman Richard Shelby and House Appropriations Chairwoman Nita Lowy announced they had reached agreement on the top line numbers for each of the 12 annual appropriations bills. They did not, however, come to agreement over funding for new construction on a border wall. The House DHS Approves Bill contains no such funding. While the Senate DHS approach bill contains $5 billion for border wall funding and another $3.6 billion to pay back DOD accounts that were diverted earlier this year. So the two have announced that they believe they can pass 12 appropriations bills through both houses before December 20th. That's a tall order. We'll see. Finally, on the miscellaneous front, remember when California liberals crowed about having figured out a way to force the release of Donald Trump's tax returns by enacting a law that would keep him off the ballot in 2020 if he did not release his returns? And remember how I said there was no way in the world that law would be allowed to stand? Yeah, well, it happened. And it didn't even have to go to the Supreme Court of the United States. On Thursday, the California Supreme Court ruled unanimously that the law violated the California state constitution and must be struck down. In a 7-0 to zero judgment, the California court ruled that the law violated a portion of the California constitution calling for what it calls, quote, an inclusive open presidential primary ballot. End quote. End of Washington report.